This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Let's start out tonight by looking for a few chills. Hmm, I've got a show in mind that just might provide that. It's called Escape. Now, the episode is called Confession and was written by Algernon Blackwood, an English short story writer and novelist worth taking a close look at. He was one of the most prolific writers of ghost stories in the history of the genre. He was also a journalist and broadcasting narrator, but that's not all. Uh, Listen to this. Blackwood was born in Shooter's Hill, now part of southeast London. He had a varied career, did he ever, working as a dairy farmer in Canada, where he also operated a hotel for six months, as a newspaper reporter in New York City, bartender, model, journalist for the New York Times, private secretary, businessman, and violin teacher. Throughout his adult life, he had an occasional uh, essay for various periodicals, and in his late 30s, he moved back to England and started to write stories of the supernatural. He was very successful, writing at least 10 original collections of short stories and later selling them on radio and television. He also wrote 14 novels, several children's books, and a number of plays. To satisfy his interest in the supernatural, he joined the Ghost Club. He never married. According to his friends, though, he was a loner but cheerful company. He would also write stories for newspapers at short notice, with the result that he was unsure exactly how many short stories he had written, and there's no sure total. Now, I'm really hoping that you'll enjoy his work on this story that centers on a murderer in a fog-shrouded city hunting his next victim. The show was first aired December 12th, of 1947. Once again, Escape and the episode Confession. You are lost in a London fog, uncertain whether the figures looming around you are real or creatures of your imagination. And somewhere in the wet grayness lurks a murderer from whom you must escape. Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and carefully contrived to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to a fog-shrouded city and the terror of a shell-shocked mind, as Algernon Blackwood describes them in his ghostly story, Confession. There was no doubt about it. The woman was dead. Her cheek was cold to my touch. The head of the long, sharp hat pen protruded from her breast above the heart. She was dead. 
murdered. And I stood there by the bed, my brain whirling crazily. I was alone in an empty house with a murdered woman. And then suddenly fear flashed across my brain and cleared it. I heard the door below open and close. Footsteps. Someone was coming across the downstairs hall. Onto the stairs. Coming up. Up here. In a moment I would be discovered. In a moment someone would walk into this room and see me standing over the body. In a moment my escape would be cut off. Quickly I slipped across the hall and into another of the empty bedrooms. I leaned against the closed door. Breathing heavily. Listening to those steps come closer. Would he look into any of the other bedrooms first? Would I be discovered here? He passed my door and went into the room, straight in, closed the door behind him. Then he knew where to come. I waited a moment, waited for some sound, some gasp of discovery. There was none. Then he knew what to expect. I must escape quickly before he came out of that room. I started down the stairs, carefully, to avoid any sound. And suddenly the door of that room opened. The beam of a flashlight searched down the hall. I took the stairs three at a time, burst open the front door, and fled into the street, fled into the sanctuary of the fog. <laughs> How long and how far I ran, I do not know. I, I could see nothing, feel nothing but the clammy dampness of the fog. I don't know whether he was still following me or not. I ran out of sheer terror, up one street, down another, with no idea of where I was or where I was going. Perhaps I was running in circles. Perhaps I would run right back to the house. Well, I stopped. I leaned heavily against the wall. My hands were shaking as I raised them to my perspiring face. I held them there to steady them. Ran them through my wet hair. My hat. I didn't have it. I'd left my hat back there in that room. On the bed beside that dead woman. And it had my initials in it. Nearby, a street lamp formed a fuzzy ball of yellow in the enveloping murk. And now a figure loomed suddenly beneath it just as she had materialized so short a time ago under another streetlight. Or was it the same one? Was it she again? Was it he, the one who was following me? Was it real at all? Perhaps it was only a creature of my madness. My dear sir, you're ill. I... Oh, hero, uh... oh, let me help you. Why, you're almost ready to fall. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah, just lean on my arm. Yes. You are real, aren't you? Real? <laughs> I don't understand. I say, you're very near collapse, you know. And I happen to be a doctor. Luckily, too, you're just outside my very house. Come in for a moment, won't you? Why, I... You're very kind. Uh, yes, I will, if it's not too much trouble for you. None at all, my dear chap. Please do. <laughs> Within five minutes, I was seated in a comfortable chair before a toasting fire, sipping a hot cup of tea. I could feel my nerves relaxing, but the traces of my illness must have been clear on my face, because my host observed... Your trouble is shell shock, isn't it? Why, yes, how did you know? I've been in the service, and I'm a doctor. 
Of course, I, I only meant I'm supposed to be recovered, or almost. But uh, I got lost in the fog, felt ill suddenly. Terrified, you know. I know. You should never have been out on a night like this. If you've got far to go, you better let me put you up. You're very kind, very kind indeed, but I don't want to be in any trouble. No trouble at all. I'd like to be of help. The least we veterans can do for each other. Ah, oh, the blasted war. Thank goodness it's over. Not English, are you? No, Canadian. I haven't been demobilized yet. I'm still in the army hospital at Regent's Park under the care of Dr. Henry. Ah, yes, yes. Very good man. I'd say he's done well by you. Up till tonight, I mean. Yes. Of course, we had no idea there would be a fog. I still get in a panic when I feel all alone. Well, that's usual, but then there was something more than that tonight, wasn't there? What do you mean? Simply that you've had rather a severe shock quite recently, haven't you? How, how did you know that? My dear chap, I'm a doctor. My business to know. You were in much too agitated a state when I found you for me to suppose it could have been done simply by the fog. And uh, if I may hazard another guess, I should say it would be a relief to you and, and wise as well if you could unburden yourself to someone who would understand. Am I not right? Someone who would understand. That's just it. I doubt if there is anyone like that. It's so incredible. Oh, the more incredible, the greater your need to tell it. Repression in cases like yours can be dangerous, as, as you must know. You think you've hidden it, but it bides its time and it comes up later causing a lot of trouble. Confession, you know. Confession is good for the soul. Yes, I suppose you are right. It is so wildly unbelievable. Since we're strangers, my belief or disbelief can make no difference. And I think I can promise you in advance that I shall believe all you have to say. Well, I've got to tell somebody about it soon anyway. So <laughs> cigarette uh, to help with telling? Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'd better start back at the very beginning of the adventure, then. It started today at the sanitarium. I've been there for some months, and today, when Dr. Henry called to check on me, I... Well, young going... man, you're as fit as a prize heifer and twice as frisky. The diet here must agree with you. I have no complaints, doctor, but if I'm well again, then I'd like to get back into circulation. Will you listen to him, nurse, rushing things as usual? You'd think he didn't like us here. <laughs> oh, the way he bothers us to let him go into town, I'm sure of it, doctor. He's getting so healthy, he's bursting at the seams. There, you see? How about it, Doctor? Can't I just have a day or an evening in town? What's the great attraction in that dirty place? Some girl, no doubt? Well, yes, that is in a way. I, I met her in France. She's a Red Cross girl. She's invited me to stop in for tea if I'm up in London. And, well, it's just that I'd, I'd feel human again, seeing a girl having tea, a cigarette, chatting... That's all. Young man, I not only approve of your day in town, I'm prescribing it. It'll do you good. You've got to start getting used to society again anyway. And you think I can manage it alone? Why not? You get around the neighborhood by yourself well enough, don't you? There's nothing so very different about London. Certainly nothing to be afraid of. No, of course not. Uh, call the young lady and find out the directions, where to get off the underground, what turns to take and so on. Uh, go in the daytime, return before dark. No danger of getting lost. Should be simple. Nothing to it. Do you good? Then this means I'm getting better. I'll be able to go home soon? There you go. Rushing things again. But yes, I think perhaps we're on the last leg. Oh, uh, that'll be all, nurse. Yes, Dr. Henry. Now, tell me, young man, 
What about your friends? No, Doctor. I think they've deserted me. I don't see them anymore. No more ghosts. No more dead comrades stopping in for a chat. Good. For how long now? Oh, several weeks at least. I can hardly remember when I last saw one. Thought you saw. <laughs> yes, thought. Of course, in the dark room at night, sometimes the That's shadows... That's not quite are... the same thing. Lots of well people fancy they see the shadows move at night. Especially after they've been reading some penny dreadful. <laughs> yes, I suppose so. Uh, at any rate, you can distinguish between the real people and the unreal now. And that's a big step, considering how you were a few months ago. Well, it's only when I feel completely alone, cut off, that the old panic begins a little, but not as much as before. Uh, many people don't like to feel alone and cut off, but they can fight down that panicky feeling, nip it in the bud. So will you in time. But I must warn you, a severe shock could undo all our work. By all means, avoid shock. Avoid shock, he said. Very funny, isn't it? But who could have known then what would happen? How could I have suspected as I went about planning my day in town, my holiday? I called the girl, arranged our tea party... I was to be at her little house in Morley Place at four. Doctor, it's the sign the first time. With your Canadian backwoods instinct, she'll probably manage it better than any Londoner. <laughs> yes, I'm sure I will. It's near South Kensington Station, then. Exactly. You change at Piccadilly Circus yes. without leaving the underground station and come to South Kent. That's three streets left from there, then two right, one more left, and right again into Morley Place at three not far. Oh, I'll find it all right. Now, don't go to any great bother. Oh, you just leave that to me. This is a special occasion, you know. Till four, then. Until four. Yes. Thanks. And so it all started out as a cheerful adventure. And everything went well into the city. I made my change underground at Piccadilly, took the local to South Kensington Station. And there I came up at the surface again. And when I walked out, I stepped into a solid, opaque blanket of white fog. I could hear the traffic, the rumble of the city around me. I could hear footsteps, an occasional muffled voice. But I could see almost nothing. This is how a blind man feels then. The only objects of relief from that dreadful enveloping gray wall were an occasional blur of yellow from a street lamp. Or a motor car headlight. A glimmering patch from some big lighted shop window here and there. And the figures. The figures of other people passing by. Dark. And floating. And indistinct. Or were they people? Might they not be those phantom figures again? Just like the ones that haunted me before I went into the sanitarium. Ghostly, blurred figures of dead comrades from Dunkirk and Abbeville. In the mud of Belgium. Ah, here comes another one. I can hear his cane tapping. Look closely now, make sure. There. He looked real enough, didn't he? They are real, I'm positive of it, and I'm not alone. They're all around me. But even as I told myself this, the old panic was growing inside. There now, old fellow, you've got to get hold of yourself. Next one comes along, speak up. Speak up to him. Ask him the way to Molly Place. Ask, can you put me on the trail to Molly Place? 
Just like that. You'll see. Here now. Here he comes. Must wait. Beg pardon. Can you put me I on... I say, is this right for the tube station, do you know? I'm utterly lost. I want South Kensington. Why, why, yes, I have just come from there. Straight along, I think. Oh, thanks, awfully. Oh, but I say, can you put me on the trail to... Morley, please. He's gone. Well, no matter, he was real enough. He spoke up like a real person, all right. Maybe if he next... Oh, oh I say, I beg your pardon. Oh, I'm frightfully sorry. I, I didn't see you and you standing still. Oh, I'm afraid I, I must be lost. Can you direct me to Morley, please? Oh, dear, I, I think you've missed your turning. You, you'd have to double back a street and maybe two and take the first turn to the right and go one street and then double back two and then left again and you'll come to. I say thanks. That was first right and then... She's gone. Disappeared. Like a ghost. <laughs> Panic was rising in me. They were real people, yes, but they appeared and disappeared so disconcertingly quickly. And when I turned off down the main street, there, there were fewer of them. I turned again and again. But I couldn't remember the directions. Suddenly, I, I knew I was lost. And now I was in some little backwater where passers-by were rare, where no one came, where I was alone. the panic swept over me. I stumbled on a curb. My cane swept empty air. I fell to the icy pavement. I was shaking so that I couldn't rise to my feet. I crawled across the open space of the street on my hands and knees. Only when I crossed the curb and felt a warm wall could I stand up again. And then I stood there, shaken and frantic. Molly Place must be very close, the little Red Cross girl waiting with her warm fire and hot tea. But where? Where? Suddenly, in the yellow blur of the nearest street lamp, a faint darkening of the fog caught my eye. It was not a figure this time. Only the shadow of the pole, grotesquely magnified. No. No, it moved. It came toward me. It was a figure. A woman. It came right up to me. Fear gripped me, and then I remembered the doctor's advice. Don't ignore them. Treat them as real. Speak to them and go with them. You will soon prove their unreality then. And they will leave you. And so I gripped the wall behind me and spoke to her. Lost your way like myself, haven't you, ma'am? Do you know where we are at all? Morley Place I'm looking for. Where am I? Well, I say you're more frightened than I am. Uh, may I help you? I'm lost. I've lost myself. I can't find my way back. Same here. I'm terrified of being alone, too. I've had shell shock, you know. Uh, let's go together. We'll find our way together, eh? Who are you? Name's O'Reilly, Canadian. I'm going to have tea with a friend in Morley Place. Uh, what's your address? Do you know the name of the street here? I came out suddenly. Unexpectedly. I can't find my way home again. Just when I was expecting him oh, to... I say steady, ma'am. He may be there now. Waiting for me at this very moment. And I can't get back. Have you any idea of the direction, ma'am? Any at all? We'll go together. Listen. Uh... I hear him calling. I remember. Wait, ma'am. Wait. Don't leave me here alone. I'm going with you. Wait. She was running fast through the fog. It was all I could do to keep up with her. But I felt I must not lose her or my own nerves would go to pieces. 
How she found her way in the fog, running so quickly I didn't know, but I kept close on my heels, running hard. I could smell a faint perfume in the air, trailing behind her. A faintly familiar odor, but not pleasant. And then suddenly she stopped and turned into the gate, so suddenly that I almost bumped into her. Oh, <laughs> is this in? You found it, then. Uh, may I come in with you for a moment? Perhaps you'll let me telephone my doctor. Doctor? Yes, Dr. Henry at the Army Hospital. I'm in his care, you know. My home is somewhere here. I'm near it. I must get back in time. For him. I must. He's coming to me. I, I say, ma'am. But she turned and walked toward the house. For a moment I hesitated. This woman was acting very strangely. But no matter, she was at least real and I needed help. Quickly I followed her up the steps across the porch. The door was ajar. She slipped through and I followed into the dark house. It was so dark inside I couldn't see anything at first. I, I stopped, groping. But she went on quickly, easily, as if she knew the way. She was ignoring me completely. I heard her steps cross the hall, go up the stairs quickly. I waited and listened. She walked along the hall upstairs. Where? Oh, where is it? I must find her. And now the hair on my neck felt as if it were rising. Was she, after all, another of my figures? Was she unreal, too? I heard her open a door upstairs, go in and close it after her. Then there was silence, profound silence. And I was alone in a dark, unoccupied house. The white-covered furniture in the hallway loomed like ghosts. And there was no sound. I felt my panic coming back. But she was upstairs. And at least she was companionship. my way up the stairs, along the upstairs hall. There was no sign of life. Where are you? I want to help you. Which room are you in? There was no answer. But as I put my hand on a table to steady myself, I, I felt something. It was a candle stump. With a gasp of relief, I took it up and lighted it. Now I could see a little. One by one, I tried the bedrooms. They were dusty and unused. The furniture covered, the mattresses rolled up on the beds. They were all alike. Until I opened the last door. Instantly, I knew this was it. I smelled the perfume. Only now I recognized it, understood why it was unpleasant to me. It was the smell of a hospital, of chloroform. And there was the woman... Her dark fur coat wrapped around her, her jewels just showing at the neck. And she was stretched out on the bed, motionless. Instantly, I... I knew she was dead. In the next instant, I thought I would go mad. The blood on her face was congealing. Her skin was cold. I knew then that she'd been dead for an hour at least. And that what I saw in the street was not real. This was the shock that Dr. Henry had warned me to avoid. And what happened then? Well, I... I heard the door open up downstairs. Someone came in. The one she'd been expecting, no doubt. And suddenly I, I realized the... the danger of my being found there beside a woman who had obviously been murdered. Well, I slipped into another bedroom, and when he went into that room with her, I slipped out and crept downstairs. 
I stumbled and he heard me and I came out. I ran down and out into the fog into the street and away. How long I ran or where, I don't know. When I was exhausted, I, I stopped. And then you came and found me. Well, what do you think? <laughs> Tall tale, isn't it? Yes. Strange, but not incredible. I see no reason to disbelieve anything you've told me. Things equally remarkable, equally incredible, happen every day in a big city. I know from personal experience. Oh, I could give you many instances. But the woman, I saw her, and yet she was already dead. Such things are hard to explain. Perhaps cannot be explained, except, of course, your mind in its present state may still play tricks on you. Perhaps you saw a woman in the fog and followed her. You may have missed her and only thought you saw her going to that house. But what about the dead woman? She was real enough. Perhaps, perhaps not. She, too, may have been just fantasy. You may never have left the street. No. No, I'm sure of that, at least. I must believe it. She was real, and the man who came up the stairs was real. If I didn't believe that, I think I should go mad. Yes, perhaps that is important. Then, let me see. Have you any proof of what you saw? Something, perhaps, that you carried away with you? None. But wait, I left something there, my hat. I left it on the bed beside her body. My initials were in it. Ah. And so if it was all real, I shall be getting a visit from the police one day soon. Perhaps. And then I'll know. And I'll be charged with murder. I don't think so. You think the police would believe this fantastic story? As I told you. Many strange things happen in a city like this. For instance, I knew of a similar case many years ago. Strangely similar case. Almost a coincidence. Would you like to hear it? I... Yes, I, I suppose so. It happened during the last war. A colleague of mine, a surgeon now dead, married a charming girl, young and beautiful. He was wealthy and they lived comfortably for many years. They seemed happy together. Then came the war and he went overseas. His income was stopped, of course. The big house closed. His wife found life not so pleasant as before. And somehow she blamed her new hardships on him. You see, she was devoid of imagination, without any power for sacrifice. But she was still young and beautiful. The inevitable young man came along to console her. He was rich. They planned to go off somewhere. Only by chance, the husband came back from overseas suddenly... Just in the nick of time. Well, he should have let her go. He was well rid of her, I'd say. Well rid of her, yes. Only he decided to make the riddance final. He decided to kill her and her lover. You see, he loved her. He planned the time and place carefully. They met, he knew, in the big house, now closed. He waited for them there. The plan failed, however, in one important detail. She came at the appointed time, but without her lover. She found death waiting for her. Oh, completely painless death. But the lover did not come. The door had been left open for him. The house was deserted and it was a foggy night like tonight. But he did not come. Instead, a stranger came. I... And where was the... Surgeon, all this time, waiting outside, concealed in the fog. 
He saw the man go in, and he followed him to kill him. But the man was a stranger. He came in by chance, like you, to shelter from the fog. I think that I should... Why, uh, what is the matter, sir? Well, I, I really must be going. Oh, of course, if you wish. Thank you for your kindness and hospitality. Oh, it's been a pleasure, young man. I enjoyed your story, although I confess I expected one a little different. Your coat? Thank you. I'll walk with you to the door and give you the directions. Ah, you're in luck. I think the fog's lifting a bit. Doctor, may I ask? Your friend, the surgeon, was he ever caught? Ah, that's the part of the story I don't know. He was clever enough so that I doubt it. Unless he told somebody, made a confession. I see. And even so, unless that other person had some proof. Oh, by the way, you, you can't walk about in the fog without a hat. Here, uh, it's an extra one of mine. You needn't trouble to return it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I went out of his consulting room with a hat on my head. In ten minutes, I was at the tube station. It was only there that I permitted myself to take off the hat and look at it. It was my own. The hat I had left on the bed beside the dead woman. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And tonight brought you Confession by Algernon Blackwood. Adapted for radio by John Dunkel. With Bill Conrad as O'Reilly, Ramsey Hill as the doctor, and Peggy Weber as the woman in the fog. Music was conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhr. Next week... You are trapped in the dark maze of the native quarter of Mozambique. A dead man at your feet, the police closing in around you. And beside you is a girl with whom you must escape. Next week, we escape with Percival Gibbon's fast-moving adventure, second-class passenger. Good night, then, until this same time next week, when again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for The Great Gildersleeve next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Harold Perry as The Great Gildersleeve. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. (laughs) Each 
week at this time, Kraft presents from Hollywood, California, Harold Perry as The Great Gildersleeve. Written by Leonard L. Evanson. And now let's visit our friend, The Great Gildersleeve. Don't eat your luncheon so fast, Leroy. Yes, Leroy. Where do you think you're going in such a hurry? To a fire. Uncle Mark gave me a quarter to burn the leaves. Yes. Say, leaf burning might be a good business for me to go into. Better get outside, Leroy. There's a wind coming up and you're liable to blow your business right down the street. Okay. Hey, did anybody see my sweater? Excuse me while I take the Yeah. Hello, buddy. You got one Yeah, this is just finishing up. Uh, come on in, Judge. Thank you. Well, hello, Ted. Uh, hello, Judge Hooker. This is an unexpected pleasure. Would you gentlemen care to indulge in a cup of coffee? No, no, only going to stay a moment. Mr. Wills and I have a little matter we want to discuss with you, Gildersleeve, in confidence. Oh, surely, surely. Let's go into the library. Thank you. Well, Leroy, what are you looking for? My sweater. I left it here somewhere. Yes, on my moose head. That's no place for a sweater. I put it in your room. Thanks. Oh, hi, Judge Hooker. Hello, Ted. Hello, Leroy. Hey, who do you think's going to win the game tomorrow? Leroy, we've got some business to talk over. Now, please imitate a priority and make yourself scarce. <laughs> uh, 23 skidoo. 23 skidoo? Yes, scram. Uh, oh, I get you. 23 skidoo. Must be a new kind of jive. Wait till I spring that one on the jive. Uh, jive. Well, now that we're alone, let's get to the point. Yes, let's get right to the point, Judge. Uh, what is the point? Well, Ted tells me that you're interested in civic and municipal affairs. Yes, I am. It was Thomas Jefferson who said... It, or was it Benjamin Franklin? No, it was Thomas Jefferson who said... It, what did he say? Well, whatever it was, you can be sure it was right to the point, Judge. <laughs> We've got an organization here in Summerfield, Gildersleeve, known as the CGA. Yeah. We strive to make our city a finer and cleaner place to live in. And now that you've become a resident of Summerfield... We want you as a member. Well, uh, that's a great honor. I, I'm not sure that I deserve it, Judge. By the way, what is the CGA? Uh, the Clean Government Association, T.P. Oh. I suggested that you were just the man to add the proper weight. Huh? Uh, I mean the proper weight in the right place. Right place, uh, We want you to head the committee investigating conditions at our city jail. Oh, well, uh, city jail, eh? Well, well, thanks. What's wrong down there? If I told you what's going on, it'd make your mustache curl. Uh, yeah, the place can't hold on to its guests. What's the trouble? Poor service? No. Prisoners keep escaping. Turnover is suspiciously high. Oh. Uh, we're getting ready to demand a cleanup. We want to get rid of the jailer. Everybody says he's made the place what it is. Yeah. Well, it sounds like he's created quite a stir. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got no evidence that we can put before the grand jury. Oh. We need the testimony of a reputable citizen who can gather the facts secretly. Well, now, how could we do that? Uh, one of our members offered to have himself arrested on some minor charge just so that he could get inside information. A uh, splendid idea. Yeah, it would have been, except everybody knows him. The jailer and his gang would smell a rat. In fact, all our members are prominent, well-known citizens. Oh, that's too bad. Would have been a peachy plan. Well, if there was some good, substantial citizen who was new here in Summerfield... Yes, who wouldn't be recognized when he broke some petty law and landed in jail. Oh, that's right. A new man. A very excellent... Oh, no, you don't. (laughs) I can see what's coming. I'm the guy you're leading up to. I won't do it. Pull your chin in, Gildersleeve. Uh, I'm disappointed in you. 
I thought you were going to be a useful citizen. But I don't like jails. What's wrong with them? I don't want to find out what's wrong with them. For one thing, they're, they're too confining. They give me claustrophobia. Oh, poppycock. That's just your imagination. It is not. I've got claustrophobia so bad I can't even wear a double-breasted vest. But you're you're just the man we need. Where else can we find someone with your alertness and intelligence and daring? No place. Thanks for the compliment, Ted. I appreciate the honor, too. But no matter how thin you slice it, it's still 30 days in the clink. <laughs> oh, what's the use, Ted? He's all bull and bellow. No beef and brawn. No, look here, you. One more crack like that, and I'll fracture your skull with a hot marshmallow. Gildersleeve, you couldn't fracture a poached egg without getting winded. Why, you little legal linthead, I've got a good idea. Oh, you haven't had a good idea since you put on long pants. That settles it, Ted. Don't hold me back. I'm good. Gentlemen, please, please. This is a meeting about law and order. Well, just because he's a law, he can't order me around. I'm not... (laughs) I am not trying to order you around, guilty old man. Oh, so now I'm an old man, am I? Stop acting like a baby. If you had any gumption, you'd help us clean up this town, Gildersleeve. It could lead to a long and honorable civic career. Someday they'd put your statue in the park. Yeah? Who knows? Maybe they'd even name the park after you. Think of it. The Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve Memorial Park. Memorial Park? You quit burying me. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> but this plan is foolproof, T.P. The minute you have all the evidence, let us know, and Judge Hooker will get you out of jail with a writ of habeas corpus. Sure. You see? Or will you do it? What do you say, T.P.? Well, I didn't know about that. The, the habeas about that. Then you'll do it? Well, if, if I really can make this town a cleaner, finer place to live in, yes. Ooh, what am I saying? I knew he'd do it, Ted. Well, what's our first move? Gildy's got to get himself arrested for some minor offense. Now, let's see. What could he do? I know. Go downtown, Gildersleeve, and pick a fight with a policeman. Talk back. Make him mad. Sass him. Say, that's something I've always wanted to do. <laughs> Sass a cop. This is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Better pick a small cop. Well, if everything's settled, I'll drive you home, Jack. All right now, boys. And don't forget, Hooker, when I give the CGA the SOS, you get me out PDQ. Well, children, how do you like your uncle's new fall outfit? (gasps) Why, Uncle Mort! You look like a tramp. Yeah. What's the idea of the dark glasses? I'm going downtown to have myself arrested. What's the matter? Lose a bet on the Dodgers? Yes. No, Leroy. I'm only doing this to help make Summerfield a finer, cleaner place to live in. By going to jail? Yes. I don't tell a soul, but I'm going there to investigate conditions for the Clean Government Association. Oh, I didn't understand. Yes. Well, don't you get it, sis? I'm something like a G-man. Yes. Oh, boy, wait till I tell the gang. Leroy, if one word leaks out about this, I'll be thrown right out of jail. Oh, gee, Uncle, I wouldn't want that to happen. Yeah. I'll keep quiet, but I still don't understand why you're wearing those terrible-looking old clothes. Yeah, boy, is that a corny outfit. It's, it's a disguise, Leroy. Do you like it? It's an old sack suit. Sack suit, huh? Looks like I forgot to take out the potatoes. Yeah. Well, it's, it's seven or eight years old, Leroy. I wonder if suits fit it tighter then or if I've expanded. You shouldn't wear those pants, Uncle Moore. Huh? You can't stand up in jail all the time. Yeah. Uh, excuse me, Miss Mart. Who that man? What you want with these children? Go where you try. Uh, take it easy, Bertie. It's me, uh, Mr. Gildersleeve. You sure? Why, of course. Well, you done frightened me from here to Christmas. What you doing dressed up like a scarecrow and not so skinny? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, 
Bertie, the truth of the matter is... Oh, oh, don't tell her, Uncle Morris. You know how women are. I can't keep a secret. Yeah. She'll be telling it all around town before you even get to jail. Jail? Who's going to jail? You, Mr. Gilfleet? What are you going to do to Pokey? Yeah, Pokey. <laughs> what did I tell you? She's starting to broadcast already. Leroy, you spill the beans yourself. What beans? Now, what's going on around here? Oh, Margie will explain to you later, Bertie. And meanwhile, if you just keep quiet and don't mention this to anybody, I'll be able to get any jail without any trouble. You will? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things I could say at this point, but I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Oh, run along, Bertie. I'll try to explain to you later on. If I ever find out myself. Yeah. Okay, but I've got a feeling in my bones and it ain't rheumatism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think, children? Do I look shabby enough? Sure, you look pretty good. Uh, that is pretty bad, pretty good. Uh, uh, don't you think so, Marge? Well, I don't know. There's something that doesn't quite fit in with the rest. Hmm? Oh, oh, yes, your mustache. That's it. Now, see here, Marjorie. I'm not going to shave off my mustache, even if it means I won't be able to get into that jail. Oh, you needn't shave it. Just trim it a little so it won't look so bad. No, no, oh, no. Yes, now, come on. Here's a pair of manicures. Nothing okay. doing, Marjorie. Don't you here dare touch a hair. Hold his head, Leroy. Okay, sis. Hold still, huh? Oh, Leroy, stop that. Quick. Cut it out, children. It's taken me years to stop, Marjorie. You'll ruin the shape. Hold still, Uncle. Stop this. Leave my mustache alone. Oh, that's my nose you're trimming. Everything all right, Uncle Mark? Well, my upper lip was kind of cold. Keep it stiff, Uncle. It looks great. Yes. Uh, say, is it all right if we stick around and watch you get arrested? I should say not. I wouldn't have even let you drive me downtown if that conductor hadn't thrown me off the streetcar. Say, how do you plan to get arrested, Uncle Moore? Huh? I hope you're not going to do anything against the law. Well, nothing really bad. I'm just going to tease a cop. <laughs> <laughs> Will I have fun getting that cop mad? Hey, Uncle Moore, stop. Huh? I see a policeman. Where? Coming down the street. See him? Boy, is he a big guy, too. Ample march, you're not stopping. No sense in taking just the first policeman, you see, Leroy. <laughs> What's wrong with this one? Well, I'd kind of like to shop around for a little one. Uh, for a little while, I mean. <laughs> but you know how hard policemen ought to find when you want one? Huh? Now's your chance. Gee, Uncle, ain't you gonna? Well, all right, if you insist. Come on, Uncle. Uh, don't rush me, young man. Well, what are we waiting for? Well, I... I just don't know how to begin this. Why don't you just bump into him? Look how big he is. There wouldn't be any fun in that. Then step on his corn. Yeah, step on his corn. That's like putting one foot in the grave. Hurry up before he passes, huh? Now quit pushing me out of the car, Leroy. Now stop that. Say, look where you're going, you. You stepped right on my foot. I did, officer? Well, why don't you keep those big uh, flat feet out of my way? They are big, aren't they? Yes, they are big. And uh, clumsy, too. That's true. You know, I have the worst time with them, especially when I dance. Yes. I'm not interested in your waltzing dogs. Now, out of my way before I get tough. Oh, don't, don't shout. I've got a splitting headache as it is. Oh, you have? Uh, I'll shout if I want to. Yes, by George, and I'd like to see you stop me. Now, really, really, mister. If you're going to create a disturbance, I'm not going to stand here and take it. You're not, eh? Uh, what are you going to do? I'm going home to bed. Oh! Wait a minute. Aren't you going to arrest me? Oh, no. no As a citizen no. and taxpayer, I insist on being arrested. Well, in that case, you better find a policeman. Yeah. Aren't you a policeman? Shh. Don't tell a soul. But I'm just getting home from a masquerade ball. Oh! 
wish you two children would stop following me around. You're just a jinx. Oh. No matter what I try, I can't get myself arrested. Well, um, did you walk on the grass in the park and pick the flowers like I told you to do? Yes, but that didn't work. Well, you should have waited till you saw a policeman. I did, and all he did was wink at me. How about jaywalking? No arresting people for that these days. I tried jaywalking right on a busy street. What happened? A couple of big trucks just missed me and ran into each other. And the officer didn't arrest you? No, he was too busy separating the truck drivers. <laughs> I even tried to steal a mounted policeman's horse. That should have landed just smacking the hoose down. Well, it would have, except this was a burglar-proof horse. What do you mean? He just sat down in the gutter and refused to move. Well, maybe you better give up, Uncle Moore. No, sir. I'm just as stubborn as the police department. I'm going to jail this afternoon if it takes me all night. I've been thinking. I know it'll do the trick. It, what is it, my boy? What is it? You see that pile of bricks? The bricks, yes. And see all the pretty straw windows? Oh, Leroy, I don't want to hurt those shopkeepers. Okay, then. How about that row of empty stores across the street? You couldn't hurt anybody there. You're a bright boy, Leroy. Now, you children go back to the car and pretend you don't know me. All right. So long, Uncle Morse. I hope you make it this time. Yeah, thanks. Uh, better take an armful in case I miss. Well, here goes. <laughs> It doesn't seem to attract any attention. I better try again. What kind of a neighborhood is this? Well, I'll wake him up this time. <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> Uh, what's wrong, Marjorie? Look at the signs in those windows you broke. Signs? Where? Oh, yes. These stores for rent by the Forester Estate. Brockmorton P. Gildersleeve agent. Oh, my. Now, go on, Uncle. Here comes the guy. Huh? Do as I told you, and I can't keep you out of the coop. Oh, but this is ridiculous, Leroy. I'm a little embarrassed. I'll get stage fright. Well, you said it was for a worthy cause. I'll be waiting, huh? All right. I don't like this. Uh, excuse me, buddy, but could you spare a dime for a worthy cup of coffee? Why, sure, pal. I've been up against it myself. Here's a quarter. Oh. That's all right. Keep it up. Sooner or later, somebody's going to complain to the cop on the corner. Oh, to think. A Gildersleeve hustling handouts on the highway. Here comes another customer, Uncle Moore. Okay. Makes me feel like a cat. <clears throat> Pardon me, lady, but could you spare a dime for a cup of coffee? Why, you poor man, I'll do better than that. I'm going to take you to the nearest restaurant and buy you a nice hot meal. But, madam, I've had my luncheon already. I just forgot to drink my coffee. No, Leroy, I simply refuse to ask another person for another dime for another cup of coffee. Why, I've collected over $7 already. Here. To give it to some worthy charity. Start a fund to buy glasses for a nearsighted policeman. What are you going to do now? I'm giving up. I never knew it would be so hard to get yourself arrested. Come on. Your sister's waiting in the car. Oh, well, look, that lady dropped her purse. Hand it here, Leroy. Thanks. Which lady was it, Unc? The one with the hat like a waffle. Uh, hey, lady! Uh, Leroy, you go to the car while I run ahead and give it back to her. Uh, lady! Oh, oh, lady! Uh, uh, lady! Oh, lady! Uh, uh, lady, I've been whistling at you for a block. I heard you. How dare you follow me? 
I wasn't following you. I was trying to catch you. Oh, what? Here's your purse, lady. You dropped it back there. I did not. But I thought I saw you. I had my purse right here in my hand. What? That was just an excuse to stop me and try to flirt. You masher. Masher? Who, me? Yes, yes. A girl isn't safe anymore with wolves like you roaming the streets. Wolves? No, see here. I wish there was a policeman around. I'd teach you a lesson. Quiet, lady. You're attracting a crowd. Why, you ought to be ashamed. Whistling and shouting at a poor girl. Girl? You wouldn't be so bold and sassy if my brother-in-law was here to protect me. Oh, Oh, my God. Excuse me, lady. Uh, maybe I can help you. Quiet, quiet, please. Quiet. Yes, quiet. What's wrong? This man is bothering me. I am not. Move on, Brom. You're bothering the lady. But I just ran after her. It bothered her. Now run away. But I want to give her this purse. I don't want your old purse. My purse? She says she don't want your purse. Now beat it. All right, Mr. Refuse. Wait a second. Who are you to tell me I should beat it? I'm a deputy sheriff, see? Now, if you don't want to be pulled in for mashing... But I swear, Mr. <laughs> Huh? Oh, is this your purse? Well, I thought it belonged to the other lady. Stealing <laughs> ladies' pocketbooks, too, huh? Huh? Now I got you on two charges. Mashing and purse snatching. Oh, but I tell you, Deputy, I'm innocent. Oh, yeah? Come on now, fatty. Let's get on to the sheriff's office. Well, I just saw it lying there on the sidewalk, mister, and I thought that... Are you coming quietly, or do I have to drag you to jail? I won't come quietly. You can't make me... If... What? You're going to take me to jail? You catch on fast. Well, why didn't you say so? Come on, come on, come on. I just can't wait till we get there. <laughs> in here, fatso. If that's all. Come on, step in there. You think I'm going to carry you across the threshold? Uh, no, no. I'll walk. <laughs> Spud, you got a roommate. Show this guy the ropes. Sure. Well, make yourself at home, Bunky. What's your name? Uh, Gildersleeve. Morton P. Gildersleeve. Boy, did you pick yourself a phony moniker. Uh, what? Nobody'd ever believe that one. But I assure you, sir, that's my name. Uh, look here, Spud. I don't want to stay around here a moment longer than I have to. Who does? <laughs> How's their chances of getting out? I don't know. Got a good lawyer? No, no, no. I mean, how's, how's chances of escaping? You mean take it on the lamb? Well, if you want to be technical, yes. Uh, not a chance in the world, Funky. This joint is airtight. Shh. But I've heard otherwise. Yeah, uh, sure. So did I. But I'm still here. What? Why, I bet I tried everything. And I know all the tricks. If you do? Yeah. That's why I'm here. Oh. On account of busting out of all the other joints. But I was told that lots of you robber chaps got free. Then somebody gave you a bum steer, pal. Huh? Why, this is the place that gave him the idea for Alcatraz. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Nobody's ever cracked this jug. Oh, I can hardly believe that. Oh, no? Huh? Well, I'll show you. Hey, deputy. Oh. Yeah? What is it, Spud? Anybody ever escape out of this cooler? No, nobody's ever escaped out of this cooler. Oh. Hey, Gildersleeve. Oh, uh, yes, sir? You got visitors. Oh, thank you. Come on. Fine mess Judge Hooker and Ted have gotten me into the hot pool. Oh, oh, hello, children. Are you all right, Uncle? Gee, you made it after all, didn't you, Uncle? How did you manage to do it? Oh, it's a long story, Marjorie. Remind me to tell it to you some cold winter night when we've got nothing better to do. Now, I want you to get a hold of Ted and Judge Hooker. Yes? Tell them that their information was all wrong. Nobody's ever escaped out of this cooler. You mean you're just wasting your time? That's it exactly, Roy. Now, you tell them to get me out of this rabbit hut quick like a bunny.
Uh, let me talk to Judge Hooker, please. This is Ted Will speaking. Oh, sorry, Mr. Will. He just left. Oh, I see. When will he be back? Well, in about a week, he said. What? Uh, a week? Uh, he can't do that. Oh, yes, he can. He's just gone to New York on court business. But he can't go. He's left someone in the lurch. Oh, my goodness. Where's the judge stopping in New York? Well, he hasn't decided. He's going to let me know. Uh, what's the trouble? He's left an innocent man here in jail. Oh, that's what all you lawyers say. Oh. Goodbye. Marge, Leroy, what are we going to do? Poor Uncle Mort. Yeah, poor Uncle Mort. Darling, you and I know the reason why I'm going to get out of this jail by and by. Oh, stop it, stop it, Throckmorton, stop it. That's all you've been doing all day long. What are you so cheerful about? You'll soon see, Spud. I'll be out of here quicker than you can walk across this cell. Yeah, well, cut out that singing. I'm punished enough without that. Yeah. I can't help it. I'm so happy about leaving this place. I've just got to sing. Uh, darling, you and I, you know... Hey, Gildersleeve. Huh? You got a visitor. Oh, <laughs> you see, Spud? What did I tell you? <laughs> Thank you, Deputy. Darling, you and I know the reason why I'm such a happy guy. Oh, well, hello, Bertie. I'm glad to see you. Uh, where is everybody? They were afraid to come down, Mr. Gilsleeve. Afraid? What were they afraid of? Afraid of you. They sent me down to break the bad news. What bad news? Judge Hooker done forgot all about you and went to New York for a week. What? Yes, sir. I told you something bad was going to happen. He can't do this to me. Bertie, did you ring me a habeas corpus? I'm sorry, Mr. Gillsleeve. All I brought you was a roast chicken. I don't want a roast chicken. I would... Hey, I do want a roast chicken. Where is it? The man at the door, he done took it away from me. Why, that petty chiseler. But I don't think he's going to enjoy eating it. Why not? <laughs> I stuffed it with some little sauce and thighs and a little gun. <laughs> If you don't shut up, the ward's going to send you to solitary. Uh, let him send me to any place. As long as it's out of here. You know, you're the screwiest cellmate I ever roomed with, Funky. Yeah? The other prisoners are circulating a petition demanding your removal. Oh. Now, why don't you just sit down like a good little fella and write another letter to the newspaper? No. I've been framed and double-crossed. And they were going to name a statue after me in a memorial park. I'm really a member of the Clean Government Association. Well, you certainly don't act like it. Huh? In the past three days, you've tried to set the cell on fire four times. Yeah. And the rest of the time, you're either trying to bribe the guards or you're organizing a jailbreak. Gildersleeve, you ain't playing the game. <laughs> I don't want to play any games. I just want to play the anvil chorus on a certain judge's head with a baseball bat. All right, Gildersleeve, get your things. You're leaving. Uh, leaving, I am? Oh, I can hardly believe that. <laughs> oh, this makes me very happy. Well, uh, that makes it unanimous. Oh, uh, goodbye, Spud. Ah! <laughs> uh, try, try to keep out of mischief from now on, Spud. Well, goodbye, boys. Uh, behave yourselves. Yeah! Yeah, glad to, <laughs> Bum. Uncle Mort, you're free. Oh, hello, children. Uh, hello, Ted. Hello, Hooker. Hello. Well, it took you long enough to get me out of here. How guilty it was all a mistake. Yeah, let's not discuss it here. Shall we go? Yes. But first, I want to ask you two great civic leaders a question. 
Where did you get your phony information? From a fortune teller? It wasn't phony. And why did you have to yell your head off about our investigation? It's all over town now. What difference does that make now, Hooker? There's nothing to prosecute here. The jail is escape-proof. I found that out. And from what I saw, it's run on the level, too. Of course it is. I knew that all along. Then why in the name of common sense did you send me here? That's just it. We didn't tell you to come here, Gildersleeve. What? No, this is the county jail. We told you to go to the city jail. Oh, my Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Lucille Ball in My Favorite Husband, followed by Inner Sanctum. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.